Philadelphia Union, San Jose Earth, DC, Los Angeles Galaxy, Beach Pass, Colorado Rapids, Vancouver Whitecaps, Seattle Sounders, Montreal Impact, Flash USA, York Red Bulls, Pitch Pass, your all-access credential to the people that matter in MLS. Here's your host, Greg Roach. Welcome, and thank you very much for finding this show. If you downloaded it, wow, you're like my hero. If you streamed it at PitchPass.com, you are also a very, very important person in my life. If you downloaded it and subscribed through iTunes, for some reason, that makes you my favorite. I don't know why, but if you leave a comment and rate the show, wow, thumbs up. You know what? Double thumbs up to you. Got a good show lined up. Color commentator for Real Salt Lake, Brian Dunseth, joins us a little later on. We'll get his take on some of the big events that happened this week in MLS, including the player salaries released, the Juan Agadello trade, and more. But first, we bring in one of the biggest surprises of this young season. He's the goalkeeper for Colorado Rapids. He's Clint Irwin, and he joins us on Pitch Pass right now. Clint, how are you, sir? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And, and I'm glad you did your, your vocal warm-ups before we had our conversation. And I appreciate you reaching out on Twitter, giving us some tips on how you prepare for a conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on my how now, brown cow. <laughs> um, my, the, this is my normal warm-up for uh, interviews. Uh, yeah, and also I, I heard you do that pre-match as well, just to, just to get focused on, on, on talking to the defenders. Yeah, you got to work on your uh, your vocal uh, information and your uh, your uh, cadence out there before you get on the field. Can't be mumbling, Clint. That's 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 goalkeeping one on one. Can't mumble. Exactly. So I have to thank you. I'm not a huge. NBA fan, but it is the playoffs, so I do like to be plugged in on some of the major sporting events. And you, you do a great job of live tweeting for a lot of the games uh, as they are happening for the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, we luckily in the uh, Mountain Time Zone, the games come on pretty much at the perfect time, right around dinner time. So I've been taking in uh, some of the NBA playoffs this year, and I love watching basketball on TV. So it's uh, it's been fun. Well, that was what I was going to ask you. Are you a just an overall sports guy, or is basketball kind of like your your go to thing that you like to settle down and watch? I'm a fan of pretty much all sports. Um, I don't really watch too much baseball, but um, I'm just a fan of watching athletes perform, and uh, especially you know when it gets down to crunch time, you, it's uh, it's cool just to see different athletes' characters and how they how they handle adversity in different situations. And I'm just a fan of of uh, those kind of things. You've kind of come literally out of nowhere, which is kind of weird to say because you did come out of somewhere. But for for the MLS fan, even I would imagine the hardcore MLS follower, your your emergence has been a bit of a surprise. We know your history as far as where you played and when you played them, but how did you get to this point? Like, uh, let's go back to to January and just did you have you already had a trial with Colorado already lined up? And if you hadn't, how did that all come about? Yeah, in January, um, I hadn't even heard from Colorado. It wasn't a team that I thought I was going to have a chance to get into preseason with. Um, the two teams I did think I had a chance with were uh, Columbus and New York, having been on trial with them um, at the end of the season in 2012. Um, so at that point, I wasn't, I didn't really have too much hope um, in getting with either of those teams either, just because I hadn't really heard from them or heard anything concrete. So. I was really uh, just trying to make it to some tryouts. Went to open tryout for Charleston and uh, basically just getting on the trial circuit because 
I didn't have really any options and just trying to make connections. And then kind of out of the blue in January, uh, Colorado called me and uh, said they wanted to have me in for preseason. When you say trial circuit, is this you yourself setting up like or looking on websites and looking and seeing who has trial dates and, and kind of seeing if you can get an invite? Or do you have somebody on your behalf kind of giving you a list of, of places where there could be possibilities for a keeper? Um, at the time, it was pretty much all by myself. Um, I would some teams publish when they have open tryouts online. So I'd look on there. You know, email the coaching staff, um, and basically just drive down and show up for a couple of days and drive back. Um, just kind of all on my own dime and really just living the minor league lifestyle, <laughs> just trying to get in front of somebody's eyes and uh, hopefully impress someone. Um, it's uh, it's tough, but you have to do it if you want to if you want to succeed at that level. Um, I I was talking to Joe Willis about this, and it's it's just. Like you watch your performance now, or Joe Willis last year when he was with DC United and and playing when Bill Hamid was out, and you think to yourself, well, how did these guys slip through the cracks? And I I haven't really gotten a good answer yet, so I'll ask a guy who kind of did slip through the cracks. How'd you slip through the cracks? I, I don't. I'm not really sure. I, mean, <laughs> I was on the radar of some teams, but I think it's just a, a product of, especially for goalkeepers. There's so many good goalkeepers in this country. Um, I like to say that we we're the Brazil of goalkeepers, and there's there's so many good goalkeepers, and you see it week in and week out in the MLS and USL that it's it's very difficult to break in to those leagues, uh, just because once goalkeepers get in, they get settled, and you know teams aren't really looking to shuffle those guys as much, um, and their and their careers are so much longer than the regular field player. So I think it's a lot of it is just based on timing and being in the right place at the right time and a lot of factors that are completely out of the player's control. It does make me a little nervous, though, because I don't think that this would or could happen in more, I don't want to say soccer-mad countries, but I don't I don't know how this would happen in, in say, the Netherlands or, or another country in Europe where a guy who, who stepped in and had the performances that you've had would basically be so far under the radar that he's calling up third-division outfits on his own, driving there and see if he get a trial to see if he can make that team. Yeah, I think it, it is a good point that you make. Um, I think the biggest thing is that there's so few teams at the lower divisions. Um, you look at what there's 12 teams in the USL, um, eight or nine teams in the NASL. It's uh, you know you think about goalkeeping and that there's what two or three goalkeepers per roster. So you're looking at a maximum of 40 goalkeeper spots that you're you're uh, trying to make, and uh, for field players, you know it's a little bit more. But at the same time, you, you look at a city like London or Amsterdam, where there's 15 to 20 clubs just in that city. Um, you know, we just don't have as many opportunities, purely based on interest in this country and, and you know financial stipulations placed on the sport. Um, but it, it does make it difficult, and I think it's more just a sheer numbers uh, game than anything. If you had uh, a best-case scenario as you're sitting wherever you're sitting in January thinking about what's going to happen for the 2013 season, what was your best-case scenario as to what you would you would do or who you would play with for this season? 
my best case scenario at that time in January, um, I was thinking, you know, it's probably going to be unlikely that I get on to an MLS team. You know, I was trying to think, you know, I played in Charlotte as a backup and I was looking to go, you know, where a place where I could get um, minutes more consistently. And uh, to be honest, it was, it was, I'm just hoping to make a roster again um, and in, in a place where I can get some minutes, whether that's USL or NASL. Um, and I even had some contact with some PDL teams at the time. So um, it was really just, I just wanted to play at some level because I'm a big believer that that kind of accelerates your development. And uh, it's weird how it's worked out where the minutes that I thought I wanted to get at the USL level are <laughs> happening in the MLS. So I can't complain about that. No, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And yeah. and so the, so the last thing about the history, how how much longer would you have given it if – this didn't happen, or like you said, if you had had tried out for for a PDL team, how much longer would you have been able to do it, or have wanted to do it? Um, it's tough to say. I mean, I told myself when I came out, you know, I would, I would reevaluate where I was at, you know, when I was twenty five to see if I was still had an upward trajectory, or if I was still enjoying it, or kind of what I was. Uh, you know, what my experience was like at the time. So, you know, I just turned 24 this year, so it would have been another year until I was 25. Um, and, you know, I kind of knew, like, I didn't want to be just someone who was a backup in the USL for my whole career. Um, I wanted – I was smart enough to where I could do other things and, you know, experience life on a different uh, – in a different area than soccer. Um, but – yeah, it's definitely uh, you start thinking about that when you're not able to find opportunities, you know, just what your life would be like if you didn't play. And I decided, you know, I wasn't ready to give up. I wanted to see how far I could go. And, um, you know, I'm happy that I decided that. So full credit, full credit to you because the stars aligned. I mean, there was a lot of, of, of opportunity, a lot of luck, but once that luck and opportunity presented itself to you, you seized it and ran with it. But what was it like uh, trotting onto the field after Matt got hurt for that first taste of MLS action, thinking back to where you were and what you were thinking about doing and where you ended up and how you were just standing there overlooking a, a penalty shot as it's coming? Yeah, I mean, once I got on the field, it's just you're just trying to get in there and do your job. Um, you don't really have time to reflect on what's happened before that. You're in the game and you have a job to do. But I think, you know, after the game, you just kind of sit back and you're like, well, this is this is pretty crazy from <laughs> where I was one year or two years ago um, to be on this stage and in this environment and this opportunity. It was definitely, uh, you know, pretty surprising for myself for at least two or three weeks even just you know you're stepping out on the field in the first division game in front of you know 15 20,000 people and when two years ago you're playing in Canada on you know a public park field in front of 50 people so it's it's a it's a whole different world that's for sure you you never felt overwhelmed of course right no I mean I think you always wanted to be at that level. And, you know, I've watched MLS <clears throat> for a long time and growing up and always thought I could play at this level. So once I got there, you know, I think you realize that a lot of your expectations for what it's like, um, you know, are true. And maybe some of them aren't in the case that, well, 
players are, you belong there. You know, the players aren't so much better than you thought they were. It's more of a sense like, okay, you can hang at this level. You're fine. You fit in. And I think that's been one of the most important things. Was it, in a way, going to that point, kind of good that you didn't really have the the week leading up to knowing, all right, I'm going to play, I'm going to play, I'm going to play, where you just kind of sat there, and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, get in. Don't even think about it. Get in and start playing. Yeah, I think it, it definitely could help. But I think some of the other things were just my experiences leading up to that. Um, the, you know, I think the MLS is a lot easier, at least mentally, compared to what you're going through on the trial circuit and just that uncertainty. Um and different things helped, like, you know, I was on trial with the Red Bulls uh, last year, and you show up there, you're coming from USL, and all of a sudden you're sitting in the locker room with Tim Cahill, Thierry Henry, Rafael Marquez. <laughs> and that's uh, that's certainly a wake-up call in and of itself and just a cool experience, you know, to kind of just get you acclimated to those big-name players and playing with them day in and day out. Did you pick up any thing uh, when you were watching Henri or Cahill playing that you can then use as you uh, go against them this season? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I was, I'm was i pretty sure they don't remember my name or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> I was just probably another trialist in, uh, you know, in the corner of the locker room, and they're probably on their, in their own world, I'm sure. Now, come on, Clint. The response to that is, but they will after I stone them. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about the uh, the the season that you guys had since, uh, so far, and um, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can answer this, but how have you guys been able to grind out the results and be where you guys are, which, you know, it's early, but you're sitting in a playoff spot as we speak. How, how have you guys been able to do that with all the injuries that you've had? I think it's just been an overall mentality in the club that we're not going to make excuses. You know, we're not going to blame the factors of injuries or anything like that. We're just going to play as hard as we can. The guys who are on the field are going to step up and give good performances, and the coaching staff is going to give us confidence to do that. And, uh, you know, it hasn't been pretty at times, but what matters um, is the points that you put on the board. And uh, so far we've been able to do a good job. That was a nice PC answer, Clint. I think the real answer was smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's talk about the uh, the the elephant in the room, and that would be, of course, uh, the incumbent starter, Matt Pickens, and and his health status. And at some point, he is going to be back. Uh, have you guys, it, either the two of you or any of the coaching staff, addressed what's going to happen when that situation arises? No, there hasn't really been too much discussion about it. Um, in the same way, there hasn't been any discussion about you know other guys injuries or long-term injuries like that I think you know what will happen is what happens every day is and there's any competition for places and it only serves to make all the players better and you know I think in the goalkeeping position and I've been a part of similar situations that um, you know both players benefit from that competition it's what you want you know you need to come back complacency in the team and I, I'm looking forward to Matt's return because I can learn a lot from him especially uh, with the knowledge that he has of the league and of the position. And selfishly, I'm hoping you hang on to the job because I have you on the fantasy team and you are a very, 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 very underpriced uh, keeper. And for the starting position, it's even a, it's a fantastic value you are, Clint. <laughs> That's good to hear. I'm glad I'm uh, 
uh, you know, producing for, in fantasy as well. You totally are for both, for both the Rapids and for my fantasy team. So thank you very much, Clint. It's been uh, it's been great talking to you because I just found your story really fascinating, and thank you for uh, for being very candid about it. And we appreciate you taking some time. Thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed it. That's Clint Irwin. He's a good follow on Twitter, especially if you're a basketball fan at Clint Irwin. I just uh, the the conversation that we had, the point that we were making about. Uh, Goalkeepers, especially falling through the cracks in the American soccer setup, is is one that's pretty interesting and maybe something for you and your friends to discuss at the bar this this upcoming weekend. Because you look at a guy like Clint Irwin and what he's been able to accomplish and and how good he has been in, in this relatively, of course, admittedly short spell. You think to yourself, how many other keepers are out there that are not getting a chance and have to, as he said, play in a field in Canada for 50 people? Ponder that. As we move on, talk about some MLS issues. There were a couple of big events that happened in the last couple of days. Brian Dunseth is here to go over all of it with us right now. Brian, how are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. How about yourself? I'm good. I just wrapped up a, a interesting conversation with Clint Irwin. And one of the things that we talked about was how a guy like that, who obviously has skills as an MLS player, can, can fall through the cracks of the American soccer setup. And, you know, his response was, was pretty interesting. He said, you know, the, if, you, if you put even the lower division uh, clubs with the MLS teams, you're looking at maybe 40 goalkeeping jobs throughout the entire country uh, for that are available. And if you don't get one of those 40 jobs, you're kind of in trouble. And that's why a guy like him was able to slip through the cracks. Is there anything we can do about that, Dunny? No. <laughs> not at not. all. Um, you know, the, the, the one thing is being a part of this, you know, this, this whole concept of professional soccer in the United States and, and in particular MLS since 97, um, you know, it, it's, it's a weird league. It has some weird workings and, and not only from, you know, kind of the, uh, the upper management down and, and who decides contracts and money and, you know, all, all the little nuances that come in, um, you know, it's, it's also a league that's grown uh, exponentially. I mean, I think since 2002, we went from something like 270 jobs in the league to now somewhere around the high 500s, maybe even in the 600s. Um, you know, the difficulty, like it's always been, is, and this, the same thing happens for the American player, is, you know, you unfortunately are, are either granted by birthright or doomed by birthright, and it just depends on where you're playing your soccer. Um, you know, in the United States, I remember watching Andy Williams bounce around from team to team in MLS, and I was always constantly amazed as how how is this guy who is so good as a player seemingly out of work after every other year? And it's all dependent about the the coach, the team, the form of the team. Um, if a coach gets fired, uh, you know the the salary that you're on. And then, unfortunately, kind of the dynamics of, of how the structure of, of each individual team works. Um, but I agree with you with Clint. The difficulty is you're looking at, you know, a specialized position where there's only two, maybe three spots. Uh, financially, it's a really unforgiving position. Um, whereas, you know, field player, you, you see how many players have we seen come in this league as forwards and end up as right backs. Yeah. It, it, the, the thing that kind of... I don't know, concerns me. And it's a very, very short-term problem. I think that MLS is doing a much better job of identifying uh, homegrown talent, younger players, and signing them, getting into the academies and moving on. But for the guy who right now, this isn't going to be a problem in 10 years, but right now is is between 22 and 26 years old, who was just ahead of this whole homegrown phenomenon, 
he's kind of on his own as to as to making his opportunities. Again, agreed. I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, we 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 old guys, Ben Ben Olsen and myself, always used to joke around that we were like the Dick Butt kisses of uh, of Major League Soccer, where we were getting paid to play a sport, but we weren't getting paid that handsomely. And now uh, all these young kids coming in and walking into three figure contracts, it's uh, it's pretty wild. Um, you know, but it, it's it, you're right. It, there there is now this this weird dynamic of did you leave school early? Were you Project 40 or Generation Adidas? Um, and if not, uh, were you capable of figuring out a way to become a homegrown player, which that, I think, is still a, a work in progress. Um, you know, some teams feel like they have the right to players that they develop and then find out they don't have any rights whatsoever, whereas other teams are able to kind of slip through the cracks and sign players where, you know, you've, you've only had two or three training sessions with the club. Um, but for me, the easiest solution to this whole thing, this whole thing, is the next time the this uh, collective bargaining agreement comes together at the same time all the uh, all the television revenue rights uh, are ending is that you pop this salary cap up around the $4 million mark. That way you're able to go out and find the players that you want, while at the same time holding on to the players that deserve the salary that they've made in this league. Um, and, and then the trickle-down effect would be the development in the academy and having day-in, day-out training sessions where young teenagers are, are able to, to play at a higher level and really accelerate the learning process. You brought up salaries. Uh, the announcement earlier this week was the, the Players Union releasing the salaries. It's always an interesting day for observers just to, just to go over and see what everybody's making. As a former player, though, how does that play in the locker room of the team that you're on? Uh, I that's a great question because I've seen it work both ways. Um, I think on one hand, this is the day where everyone gets excited because they can immediately call up their agent and say, wait a second, mm-hmm. why is this center back in D.C. making that much money when sets of, you know, this other center back plays only making this? And, you know, it, it's, it's definitely locker room fodder. It's, it's, it's a... Uh, an opportunity for players to uh, kind of poke the bear uh, in, in the club and go after the GM and say, ho, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. If I've played 300 games in this league, why is this guy who's been in the league for a year and incredibly average making $100,000 more? Yeah. Um, so that, that becomes an interesting dynamic. I think also for me now on the outside looking in is, is you get to see how certain teams kind of structure uh, you know, their, the dynamic of their roster. And, you know, where you've got Salt Lake, where you see a lot of guys in the hundreds of thousands um, versus, you know, say uh, an L.A. Galaxy, where you have a lot of guys, you know, a couple guys making a couple million and then a lot of guys making, you know, there's a few guys making hundreds of thousands and the rest of them really making peanuts. So I think it's a fun way to kind of see how everything's structured. But I will tell you, just as a friendly reminder for everyone out there checking out those those numbers, those aren't the legitimate cap numbers. That is a pretty good ballpark figure of where it's all coming in. But if you talk to any general manager, um, those are not the numbers that they're seeing on, on their spreadsheets when it's all said and done. Do the general managers that you've spoken to about this, if you have, do they, do they get more agina because the numbers are out there because they don't want to hear from player agents? 
or because uh, as, as, as a DC United fan, I look at DC United's payroll and I look at Sporting Kansas City's payroll, and they're you know a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars apart. Yet the talent gap from what Sporting is getting for their their money is pretty big compared to DC United's. And as, as a GM, I would go, oh boy, it, now it really looks like I'm mismanaging the money. So which which one gives the GMs a little more agenda? <laughs> Again, another great point. I think you're you're spot on. Um, I, when I was talking about the structure of the team and, and how it's built, I think it's interesting because you, know, you bring up a good point, like Peter Vermes, and he's essentially had his group, you know, his kind of core group together for the better part of four or five years now. Um, you know, he's added a, a lot of a lot of strength through you know the college drafts, he's Jason Pong, um, but he's gone out and find guys like Rochelle, bringing back, rejuvenating the careers of a guy like Nagamura. I guess you could also argue, uh, you know, Bobby Conde and and, Paul and, uh, and Benny Fellhaber at this point. Um, you know, you can add kind of little pieces of the puzzle how you see fit. But, you know, with, with, when I look at, at D.C. And, and how they're building, I think they're doing a good job. But they're also, I, I feel like, trying to plug holes in, in positions that they need while still kind of, turn, I would say, adjusting the roster. I mean, you got D. Rowe, um, you know, you've, you've got the, the, the top-tier money guy. And then after that, you know, you, you've got good, solid veteran players and, and a couple of young standouts. But how, you know, if you're, if you're looking for long-term stability, stability it, it takes a while. And I think that you have to have, a, you know, a GM, a technical director, and a, and a coaching staff that's really all on the same page. And, you know, despite the start for D.C., I, I've, I've always believed in Benny. I've known Benny since we were 17 years old. And uh, he, he's one of the smartest people that I know in terms of the game. And it's just a matter of, of getting everything right. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we're a result-oriented business, so the pressure the pressure uh, is on from the very beginning. But it is a, it's a very interesting day. And, and GMs, I know GMs have been fielding a lot of calls. This one I talked to uh, was fielding a lot of calls over the last couple of days. And uh, I think from an owner's perspective, when you get those numbers in front of you, this is one of those where you're not doing well. <laughs> guys are saying, guys, what are, what are we doing here? And, and are we doing this right? Um, I don't know if you had a chance to really think about um, or put your thoughts together for the trade that came down. It's happening as we record, and that's uh, Juan Agadello going to New England Revolution. Do you have any initial thoughts on that deal? Wow, that's a big one. Um, do you, do we know? Wait, did I did, wait? Did I break the did I break the news to you, Dunny? <laughs> nice. Well, the good thing is, yes, that, that's not the first time, and, and thankfully, I'm I'm I refuse to get kind of get into the uh, the breaking news business. That's on on my side. <laughs> I just kind of react to it. That's, that's what the I, fun part for for where I'm at. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, for me, the big question. So with Juan, I guess my first initial reaction is. You know, he had a training stint at Glasgow Celtic. Last year, he was traded from New York to Chivas USA. You would think that would be an ideal fit based on the direction that Chivas USA is trying to go, um, kind of catering to the Hispanic market, catering to developing young Hispanic players in Los Angeles. But again, I, I guess it's the same question I had the other night with Darren Maddox. What's going on? You know, why is this young player in Agadello being traded why is both he and Maddox not starting game in, game out? Um, you know, we, we had a lot of high hopes for, for one, the same way we did with Freddie Adu and the same the way we had with Josie Altador. And, and we, we want to exalt these young players, you know, to, to the forefront of, of the next Pele in the United States. But, you know, do, do you know, 
do the players have it not only physically but but internally and mentally um you know can they show up day to day can they can they prove and develop and you know it's it's a little disheartening i think for me as an american fan to sit back and see Juan Agadello on his third team in in 12 months and uh kind of just wondering are are, are you know is he going to turn into Josie who can go overseas and parlay that experience over years to start putting the ball in the back of the net and succeed or you know, does he turn into Freddie, who seemingly is 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 chasing uh, chasing the next paycheck and can't really find any stability whatsoever? Yeah, and that's a great point. Uh, by the way, it was Agadello to New England for allocation money, so no players changed hands or or draft picks. So, um, what is going on with Chivas <laughs> only getting allocation money? Well, they're set, they're setting up for a big splash, Dunny. You know how they do; they're always splashing money around. <laughs> Man, I, I'm, I, I spent a lot of time the other day with Paco Palencia. He's a really good friend of mine, and uh, I think having him is, is a huge, uh, a huge decision in the right direction for Chivas USA, especially with Chile's kind of being manic at times. But uh, man, they they have given away some quality, quality players for essentially second round draft picks and, and allocation money. So. Yeah. I, I hope they have an idea because for Chivas, it's going to take a long time to to rebuild that club in the right direction. Should this project under Chelis fail miserably? Yeah, and it's weird that like so that you 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 were right. They they give away all this talent and then they go out and say, well, we we re-signed Dan Kennedy and then immediately turn around and start giving away more talent. So it's like, wait, that one of these moves is not like the other. Why, why sign Dan yeah. Kennedy when you're going to do all this other stuff? Yeah, agreed. I think uh, Dan Kennedy is a good signing for them. Um, I think he's been with the club, and, and what he told me the other day is that that the locker room hasn't been together, hasn't been as united um, as it is since Bob Bradley left. So I think Chelis has, has got the players kind of drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. Um, you know, but but we'll see. He's either going to be the four-one win on the road in Chicago, or is he going to be the uh, the four-nothing loss? You know, uh, at the weekend. Um, you know, in Kansas City, I think it's a it's a very fine line. He's a guy that re- would rather lose five four than lose one nothing. So it's definitely exciting. I've done a few of his games, and I I find myself drawn to you know visually watching him just totally. as much as I'm watching the game. Totally. And, but now, so now let's get back to the Agudela thing and, and your point about Josie versus Freddie, and it's a good one. Uh, but I, I to me, if you just look at their MLS careers, it, his mirrors much more. Freddie Adu's than it does Josie Adador. Josie Adador had a continued run of success with uh, with Red Bulls before he made his transfer. Juan has not had that in in any of his stops. Yeah, and and I think it goes back to being given too much too soon. Um, you know what what we continue to hear, and, and I guess this is kind of one of the one of the the arguments that I have recently with the national team is we keep hearing about how players need to be performing and excelling and. and and earning their call-ups, yet, um, you know, a guy like Breck Shea and a guy like Juan Agadello are given gifts to be, re- you know, called back in. You know, when when Carlos Bocanegra isn't called in because he's quote unquote not playing with his club. Um, you know, it's I think it's a convenient excuse at times, and I I'm, I absolutely agree with bringing in young players and developing them. Um, but but I also think that it's it's for me it's kind of what I call the Bradenton dilemma, uh, the under seventeen dilemma is. How many? How really? Since 2003, 2004, all we've been hearing about are these next great under 17 players coming through, and they're given all you know the $300 cleats. They're given all the money in the world to sign with the league, 
you know, they get a little bit of success and then we don't ever hear from them again. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, that's why I'm glad to see this homegrown, uh, and the academy, uh, style really starting to come together because, you know, from a development standpoint, um, you know, it's it's kind of a scary time right now for U.S. soccer. We're we're not excelling the way we should at the youth levels. We're seeing more and more disappointments. Um, and, you know, and, and I guess rounding it back to, to Agudelo, I hope it works. I mean, with Sire Sen, with Jerry Bankston, um, you know, I think it could be a it could be a, a really impressive attack. But um, you know, I think we 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 continue to find ourselves saying with some of these young players, it could be. You know, could this be the right situation? Could this be the answer? And uh, ultimately, you know, it, it can't be the club's fault. It, it can't be the teammates' fault. Ultimately, it has to fall on the players at some point. Um, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of what Agudelo can do. I would just like to see his game kind of round out and, and mentally uh, be doing the same things he's capable of doing physically on the field. The conversation is that he's a, he's a slam dunk to see out his deal till the end of the year and then go try his, his hand overseas. Is is that even a, a slam? Is that even a layup, or or is that something where this guy definitely could use a little more time in MLS to and, and an extended run in MLS playing consistent first team minutes? Yeah, to be honest with you, I don't care where he's playing. I just want the kid to succeed. Yeah. I just want him to start playing consistently. Um, I mean, you know, listen. All, all we're ever talking about is is how much money you guys are making overseas and the monopoly money, and you know, keeping it real and. You know, spending the money and you know living that lifestyle, which is great. But you know, Brett Shea just got a huge move to Stoke City, and Tony Pulis came out yesterday and said he's not even close to where he should be. Um, you know, and, and that's coming off an injury, and I get it. But you know, it's one thing to say like, yeah, I want to be there, I want to make the money. I, you know, I played in Europe, I played in I played in Sweden. It's definitely not England, but it was still an amazing experience. And and I guess from a from a player's perspective, at some time, at some point, you got to figure out. Am I playing soccer to play soccer and be the best player in the world? Am I playing soccer to earn as much money as I possibly can? Or am I playing soccer to get a life experience? Um, and, and I think there's a, there's a major distinction between all of those. And I think it comes down to the individual person, how, how his mental makeup is. And, and I think Agadella can succeed. You see moments of brilliance, but he, he needs games and he needs consistency because he, he's – you know, he's got the physical capabilities to take over a game and change a game in a split second. But, you know, you'd like to see him be able to do that game in, game out. I think we're always hammering Landon Donovan, you know, and, and, and saying how mentally weak he is. Landon's one of the men- mentally, one of the toughest people I've ever been around. He doesn't get the same amount of credit. And, you know, he goes away for a little bit and takes some time to himself, joins the team a little bit later and just gets just shattered publicly uh, and in the press. But yet, you know, he's he's still the guy that'll show up every single game and, and bust his tail and, and, you know, go to war with you. I think that's kind of the mentality that, that we need. We we need more Michael Bradleys yeah. than we need anybody else right now at this point in, in the U.S. system. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about New York, too, and the uh, the rumors that are coming out of the Manchester City owner um, backing a play to... to uh, be the point person or the owner for New York too, and the hundred million dollar uh, initiation fee into the league is is having an owner like that in MLS good for the league or bad for the league? Because I I can go either way on this. Um, I could go either way as well, and I, I guess time will tell. Um, but I I think it'll be a good thing. Um, I think ultimately, uh, you know, it'll it'll force certain owners in this league to stop talking and, and spend more money. 
Um, you know, I, I would love to see, uh, you know, the, the Colorado Rapids as an organization. I would love to see more money put behind that, um, get more capital, more, more, more push, um, more priority than what it has. Um, I, I think it would be a huge move. I, I think absolutely. I, I think, I think at some point we need to differentiate that the New York Red Bulls are not New York. They are the New Jersey Red Bulls uh, more than anything because for the people that, that jump on the path and, and make their way down and, and get on the train and get all the way down there, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty huge commitment. I mean, it's, a, it's at least somewhere around an hour to get all the way over there. If you had somebody, you know, if you had a team on the island, I, I think it would create a rivalry. I think it would be... I think it would be ideal. I definitely think you you would kind of cater to a different demographic um, being in New York City. Um, you know, I, I would love to see Orlando get a team and, and see potentially what they could do. I think it's been amazing what they've been doing underneath the radar uh, since their move from Austin and, and how quickly they put down roots there. But I think it's I think it's a huge move. I think it could provide more financial stability for the league. Um, you know, and it's going to be an interesting time. No one's talking about this, you know, the TV issue that's going to happen at the end of 2014. Um, you know, it's it's a weird, weird time right now in, in the television world of things. Fox Soccer condensing into Fox Sports 1 and, you know, BN Sport trying to make a push. You know, ESPN doing what they've always done. Um, and then with now NBC pushing into the Premier League. Uh, it's it's going to be a wild time. I'm very interested to see when that all comes to an end and, and the collective bargaining agreement has to be re- renegotiated because uh, I think it'll it, it it will change. I think the direction of where Major League Soccer is headed in the you know for for the next 10 15 years after the end of 2014. Yeah, it'll be hard, and obviously this is a rumored uh, initiation fee, but it'll be hard to to argue. Uh, to the players that we can't raise the the salary cap when we just pocketed a hundred million dollars for a guy to just have the opportunity to be in the league. Yeah, I, and again, I, I think it's uh, I think that they'll probably look at it as a way to break into the United States. Um, I, I just hope that there is it's in terms of support versus what we've seen from Chivas to Guadalajara to Chivas USA. Yeah, I, I hope you're looking at more of a direct. Uh, pipeline of support. Um, you know, there's not too many people that can financially hit that hundred million dollar mark. And Man City's ownership is, has proven that they that's a drop in the hat to them. Not a big deal. Um, so it, it'll be very very interesting to see if that does happen and and what kind of transpires afterwards. Because you know, and I guess essentially what what does that open up afterwards? Because you, know, you, you look around the world, and, and there's a few, you know, PSGs and other ones. There's, there's a lot of money being spent. And I think if, if you know, gajillionaires are looking at this as an opportunity to kind of lay down roots and open up from a branding perspective, and and not spend that much money in terms of the big big scheme of things of what they're used to spending or what they're used to playing around with, uh, it, it could really, really uh, jumpstart MLS and, and kind of put it into a whole new stratosphere. You got to tell me about Snowfro and how I can get the shirt. <laughs> uh, Snowfro, yeah, we just dropped it today. I appreciate you uh, a little drop right there. Yeah, um, you know, we were like everyone else. We were, well, I guess with the exception of the people at Dicks, uh, we were watching the U.S. Costa Rica game, and uh, I immediately got on the horn with uh, with my partner Ben Hooper, and uh, we just started laughing because we we've had we've been a, a few games like that over our career since knowing each other since we were seven years old. And uh, we started getting a kick out of it. And there was just one image that 
immediately both of us were picking up the phone at the same time and it was Jermaine Jones and it was all the snow that was on his hair. And uh, we just started laughing and we were like, we have to do something to kind of commemorate that. So we came up with a graphic today and we just released it. And on the back of the shirt, kind of did a hashtag of the USMNT and then the date of the game. Um, so it was just a little tip of the hat to uh, to the game itself, uh, you know, for, for the everlasting memory of, of watching a, a qualifier and a really important qualifier uh, go on in snow and in, in a situation in weather conditions that should have never been played. Um, and it's it's been an, it's been amazing so far. We we dropped it today online, and uh, we've we have seen an, an incredible amount of purchases. So I think it's it's really resonated with with soccer fans, and uh, it, it was fun. It was definitely a fun one to do. So give the website is it bumpypitch.com? Just yeah, just head over to bumpypitch.com, and uh, yeah, it was it was released today. We we did a limited number. Um, it's it's a good size. It's a good amount of shirts, but once they're gone, they're they're, they're definitely gone, nice. and that's something that we kind of pride ourselves on. We we try to create limited edition clothing, um, and and so when they're out there, grab them because we're just not sure if we're going to bring them back. I gotta let you go because I got to get online so I can get my shirt before they all. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate the support. Sure, Brian. Uh, appreciate you checking in, and thanks. And we'll we'll catch up with you uh, at some point in the rest of the season, my friend. Sounds good. Appreciate it as always. Show information, go to pitchpass.com.